Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. We're at the end of our Messy Church teaching series. Now, I've really enjoyed spending time with you each week in this series, learning from the early church in the book of Acts and learning just how messy the process of becoming like Jesus can be. As we grow in Christ, God causes our mess, our, our sin, right, to rise in our lives. And as He deals with it head on and removes it, we're filled with His Spirit. Now, the early church, it wasn't perfect. It was full of people working through this process, and they were all at different levels on their spiritual journey. And that means it got pretty messy at times. Now, we started the series by breaking down the story of Paul and how he had this incredible encounter with Jesus, which changed his life forever. He made some necessary adjustments to serve Christ. And when we say yes to Jesus, we have to do the same. Then we moved on and learned how the early church tackled the issue of prejudice head on. So in the story of Peter and Cornelius, we learned that the first Christians realized that God was saving those who weren't Jewish also, who were Gentiles, right? And we learned that, hey, it's important for us to tear down the prejudicial views we have in our lives, that God is a God for all people. And so then last week, we, we heard the warning from the really crazy story of Ananias and Sapphira and how there's danger in holding back from God. So we're, we're to go all in for Christ. Like God wants 110% of us, not, not part of us, not a little bit. God wants all of us. Now going through the process of becoming like Christ, it's messy. That means church can be messy too, as we've been learning. But something else can make church messy, and it caused a big mess in the early church in the book of Acts. And we're going to see today how the early church handled a mess caused by gray areas. So the diversity that exists in the body of Christ, how, how there are people with numerous differences from race and gender to wealth and education to political and social ideology, that pretty much guarantees that much of what the church does, and, and I would say even teaches at times, falls under what we might call gray areas. So it's true the Bible is very clear on numerous topics, but it's equally unclear on numerous topics as well. Or at the very least, it appears to have undeniable defined positions which allow a tension, a healthy tension, to exist between a couple of different options. So what happens when we have an absence of clarity? Well, we come up with our own answers, right? Or what might be a better answer here is we come up with our own preferences that we assign value to. So we operate in gray areas all the time in our lives. Like you, you might have a job to do. Let's just say someone hired you to build a fence or develop a software program, right? Did that person give you explicit instructions on how to build those things? Are they making sure that you use the software code or their specifications? Or are they out there making sure, you know, the fence post is cedar and not pine? Probably not, right? They just want the job done. They don't care how you do it unless they gave you specific instructions. They don't care. Now, you might have a preference to use, you know, cedar over pine or Python coding over whatever it is, but the person who hired you probably, unless they gave you instructions, does not care. 
And we see this play out in the church too. One of the reasons we have so many denominations is because different church groups rally behind certain preferences, which are actually theological gray areas. And so every the translation, you know, the, the biblical translation you read from, I mean, that's a result of that too. I, I once had a woman who uh, told me that Jesus never laughed. And so I asked, like, how did you know that? And she goes, well, it isn't in the King James Bible, which, by the way, is the only authorized version we should use. It says so in the cover. She smiled when she said that. And I explained the real reason it's called the King James Bible and that authorizing it meant that every other version was illegal at the time. And she, she got mad and walked away. Look, where we get in trouble is when we expect other people to comply with our viewpoints in these gray areas. We tend to to treat them as if they you know, came from God himself. And this explains all the unwritten rules our culture can create, which by the way, the church culture creates those too. Uh, but it's a bigger problem when the church creates them because those gray areas can have eternal impact. They can make it difficult for people to come to Christ. And because of that, the bigger problem arises out of that, lost opportunities. So every time a barrier is created from a gray area within the church body, it has the potential to keep away the very people we want to come to know God. Those people become lost opportunities. They're lost because we had it within our power to remove barriers that we created, which would have made it possible for that person to have a chance to connect with their Savior. Many years ago, I was on staff at a church, and uh, there was a guy Watson wearing a hat. And he sat down in his seat, and he was waiting for service to start, like a lot of folks do. And uh, it was his first time in our church. And an usher walked up to him, took his hat off, and said, We show respect in God. Else. And the man got up, took his hat, walked out the door. He ain't never come back. Over what? A, a hat, man. All this over a hat. See, this is what I'm talking about. We, if we're we're, we're going to learn today how to handle gray areas and how to handle them properly. So I want to take you to Acts 15 to a really tense scene. There's an issue which has risen, which actually threatens to split and tear the church apart. Now, how the early church handles this, which, you know, this is created over a gray area here, is still actually felt today. So Acts 15, verse number 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch, Assyria, some men from Judea came and began to teach the believers. And they said, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, which is the Old Testament law, you cannot be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So, you know, is this really about circumcision? <laughs> Are we really having this conversation? Yes and no. All right? No, in the sense that it's much bigger than circumcision. Circumcision just happens to be what brought this to the surface. But yes, it is about circumcision. Uh, because circumcision was a far bigger deal than you might realize in the first century. It was a huge deal back then uh, because it was the act of ensuring you were in agreement with God and His promise to Israel, that you would be a recipient of all the blessings which resulted from that promise. It wasn't some small matter, and it was about to tear the church apart. So on the one side, you have Jewish believers, many of whom were former Pharisees. Uh, that's the group of priests who actually had Jesus arrested and crucified, okay? Uh, they strongly believed in following the Old Testament law still. Those are things like eating kosher food, uh, participating in ceremonial washings, and of course, you know, being circumcised, among many other things. 
again, just so we are all on the same page, circumcision is symbolic of someone belonging to God and being eligible to receive his blessings. It's why it's such a big deal even in the church, because up to this point in Acts, the majority of Christian, uh, Christians are Jewish. Christianity was more of a radical sect of Judaism. It hadn't actually you know, been separated yet. So the problem arises with the non-Jewish or Gentile Christians who are not circumcised and are not keeping the Old Testament law. They're just following Jesus, and that's it. So Paul had been the primary missionary to the Gentiles, and he'd been preaching that Jesus plus nothing else is salvation. Now, all of us who are Christians would agree with that. We would say, hey, you know what? Salvation is through God's grace alone. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't be born into it. But this stance was at odds in many Jewish Christians who still strongly believed doing good works, obeying the Old Testament law was a vital part of salvation. It was so intense, the church in Antioch sends an entire delegation to the apostles in Jerusalem to settle the matter. So an issue here is what to do with all these new people coming to know Jesus, which by the way, the more new folks who come to know Christ, the messier things kind of get. Should the church make it as easy as possible for them to connect with Christ, or should they force these new believers to adopt a workspace model as a requirement for folks to be saved? So what everything was going to come down to was this one question. Are we building God's kingdom or our own? And the early church isn't the first church, by the way, to wrestle with that tension. A lot of churches today do that too. And so Paul and Barnabas explain that what's happening to the leadership— gathered at what we now will call the council at Jerusalem. Um, and then James, the brother of Jesus, was the same person who wrote the, the New Testament letter, James. He, he speaks up. Now, he's the pastor also of the churches in Jerusalem at the time. So it's a pretty prominent guy. And guess what he says? Acts 15, verse number 13. He says, when they had finished, this is Paul and Barnabas, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter's told you about the time that God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it's written afterward, I'll return and restore the fallen house of David. I'll rebuild its ruins and restore it so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles and all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What a very important verse. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city, on every Sabbath, for many generations. What James does in this answer that he, he gives is he pulls some quotes from a couple of Old Testament prophets, Amos and Isaiah, to show that it was God's plan from the beginning to bring all the people to himself. Not just Jews, but everybody. And, and just so you know how big of a shift this really is, even the language in Acts is going to change from this point going forward. Let me give an example. Luke, who wrote the, the, the book of Acts, he used the Greek word uh, laos to refer to the Jews as God's people. There was a barrier which had cemented uh, in the minds of the early church that if you were not Jewish, you're not God's people. But from this point going forward, starting in you know, verse number 14, whenever you see laos being used, it described both Jews and non-Jews as God's people. So a shift happened. The church began to realize that they 
They were building God's kingdom, and God's kingdom uh, was, was including not just people of the Jewish race, but folks of different races, folks of different cultures, right, who weren't necessarily bound to follow some of the Old Testament practices that the Jewish Christians followed. And so what this tells me about us today is this, that right here in our 21st century, if we're building God's kingdom, that means we don't have the right to set up barriers which can prevent someone from coming to know God. We don't have the right to take gray areas or our preferences and, and treat them like eternal truths. We have to take James' wisdom from this passage and, and use it to build God's kingdom. Because what James teaches us here is that Christians must respect each other's differences. It's okay to be different. Your salvation doesn't depend on those things, you know? Like you have a responsibility not only to recognize the differences, but to respect them. And so now for some of you, this might be difficult, especially because you've got spiritual tunnel vision. Like you may not be able, you know, you don't realize it, but your, your, your tunnel vision is, is damaging people around you. You know, I mean, I realize that here today, but if you don't tear that tunnel vision apart, it could damage people for eternity. So there was a student of mine many years ago when I was a youth pastor um, who was a gifted musician, we'll call her Susan. In her early teenage years, she was fired up for Christ. I mean, she was praying for students at the altars. She was going on missions trips. She stopped people who showed any kind of distress, like in the store, dude, and she'd pray for them on the spot outside of church. I mean, she was crushing it. Wasn't one of those, I'll pray for you. Like, she actually did it. And then when Susan got older, she thought, man, I'd like to get my nose pierced. That's kind of cool. Let me, let me do that. I want to color my hair purple. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, I want a tattoo. All these differences that are pretty noticeable. Did her spiritual passion for Christ wane? No, not at all. Until so a group of, we might, you know, quote, call mature Christians began to complain. They didn't like her piercings. They didn't like her colored hair. They raged at how somebody who looked like her, who would dress like her, was allowed to play in our student worship team. And it was so bad, they threatened to leave the church over it. And so word got out about their feelings, and it crushed this girl. In fact, it crushed her so much, she dropped out of worship, she dropped out of mission trips, she stopped praying for people, she heard the whispers continue, and eventually she came to the conclusion, if this is what church is like, I'm out. Right? These are supposed to be Christians, but they're taking their gray areas and they're helping destroy someone's spiritual life with them. To this day, she won't set foot in the church. And she won't even listen when you talk about God. I watched that play out as a youth pastor, and all these years later, I still get angry and I think about it. I still get enraged thinking about what this one group of Christians who thought they knew what it meant to be you know, godly and righteous tried to force on other folks their viewpoints, their preferences to comply with that, playing the God card in the process, and causing irreparable damage to somebody's spiritual life. So often we take great areas and we force them under the people, and if they don't comply, we surmise, well, they're just not godly enough, you know, at best. And we play a major role in destroying their spiritual lives at worst, all for matters which honestly have zero eternal consequences. 
And that's why James stands up for the Gentile Christians. He understands they're part of God's people too. He understood that his job as a follower of Christ was to build God's kingdom. And if the church was to build God's kingdom, then differences had to be respected. Barriers had to come down. Gray areas that lacked clarity had to remain gray and not be treated as absolutes. Verses 19 and 21, James begins to deconstruct barriers which have been set up to keep non-Jewish Christians out. He proposes they do three things. One, refrain from committing any sexual sins, refrain from eating meat of strangled animals, and then refrain from consuming blood. So that seems kind of odd, right? And it does, if you haven't read the requirements that God gave Gentiles in the Old Testament to have connection with Jews. In the Old Testament, any Jew and Gentile hanging out together uh, could only do so if those three requirements were met. So what James did was he found common ground for the Jewish Christians to respect the differences of Gentile Christians. But in order for this to work, Gentiles, you know, the non-Jewish guys, okay, they had to give up some of their rights. They weren't Jewish, so they weren't living under the same cultural rules that Jews lived under, but they were free to do a lot of things Jews weren't. And so what James is saying, he's saying, hey guys, if we allow you to continue to do these things your way, then you need to give up some of your rights out of respect for the Jewish Christians whenever you're around them. And so this is the attitude, by the way, that it takes to build God's kingdom and not our own. As you progress and as you grow in your faith, you give up your rights for the sake of other people. So yeah, you, you, know, you may be free in Christ to have a glass of wine with your dinner, but it doesn't mean you should, especially if you have others with you who are strongly opposed to alcohol. Um, you're free to vote for a candidate or political party, but it doesn't mean you have the right to be super vocal about it and shout it from the rooftops, especially in a hyper-polarized world today that we're in. You risk alienating and turning away the very people you might wanna reach and help grow in Christ. Like, which is more important, the wine or the person? The political ideology that you back or the person? I'm going to tell you right now, it's the person every single time. They're more important. So you need to give up your rights in certain situations for the sake of building God's kingdom, not your own. This is what Paul seems to have in mind when he's writing his letter to the Christians in Rome. Check this out. Romans chapter 14, verse number 14, Paul says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person, well, it's wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died when you will not be, uh, then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please God and others will approve you too. So then let's aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. What's the point? That Christians must give up their rights for the sake of building up God's kingdom. It is in lockstep with what James is telling the council in Acts 15 and really how Christ lived his own life. This decision led the way in bringing spiritual unity inside the most diverse group of people I think the world's ever seen. No group's more diverse than the body of Jesus, right? And so Acts 15 ends with the council agreeing with James. Their decision 
has implications that is very far-reaching, far beyond what I can cover in one message. It would take many weeks to get into all the consequences this one decision had, but we can be sure of this today, that Christians are to respect each other's differences and in the process, be willing to give up their rights so the kingdom of God can grow and be built. The entire premise for the council's decision comes from James's words in verse number 19. We should not make it too difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So at Radiant, we want to echo that decision from the early church. We don't want to make it too difficult for folks to come to know God. We will do everything we can to bring people into God's kingdom. We'll focus on building His kingdom and, and not our kingdom. We'll sacrifice the gray areas so barriers can be broken, so the Susans of the world will grow in Jesus. You may realize that you've taken a gray area here today and enforced your view on somebody else, perhaps even to the extent where they were harmed, and you're harming others and haven't even realized it until now. Well, you're just like those Jewish Christians in Antioch who came and said, hey, you got to be like us before you get saved here, you know? You're building your own kingdom. But it's not God's kingdom. In the process, you haven't given up your rights for the sake of building God's kingdom either. But in order to build up the kingdom of God, we need to sacrifice our rights and our freedoms in Christ for the sake of others. The more you grow as a Christian, the more spiritually mature you are, the more you should give up those rights. Paul is one of the apostles of the council. He describes himself in the opening of some of his letters as a slave to Christ. Why? Because Paul understands slaves have no rights. And in Christ, we voluntarily give these rights up to serve him. Others have been on the other end. Susan's story is really your story. You can relate to that because you've had a similar experience. You can relate to the Gentile Christians in Acts 15. And I want you to understand today that you can find healing in Christ for the pain you've gone through. If you've turned away from Christ, I want to call you to come back home today. To come back home to the Father and let Him repair a damaged heart. Lord, I thank You for who You are. You're an incredible and powerful God. There's nobody like You in heaven and earth. And Father, I pray right now for two types of people. I pray, Lord, for those, first of all, who recognize that you know, they've been holding on to rights and not giving them up, who are taking great areas and preferences and they are making them as if they're gospel truth. They may not have realized they were harming people in the process. You know, Father, I pray that today uh, your Holy Spirit would bring about conviction in their lives if that's what they've been doing. Uh, Lord, they'd feel that conviction the Spirit brings and seek, God, your forgiveness and your grace for having a role to play in causing someone to stumble and someone to turn away from you and who you are. And I pray, Lord, for, uh, for that forgiveness and grace to shine through their lives and that from this day forward, they would give up those rights, God, to expand and build your kingdom. That would not be about their preferences and their great areas, but God, it would be all about you, Jesus, and expanding your kingdom and reaching folks for you. God, for those who can relate to Susan's story, you can relate to the, the, the Gentile Christians here in Acts 15, they, they, that, that's their story. You know, they've been harmed, they're hurt, 
hurt. Uh, there have been some barriers that were put up that, that turned them off from coming to you. Lord, I pray right now that you grab a hold of their hearts. Let them know how much you love them, God. Let them know how much you care. I pray they come back home to you, that God, their hearts would be mended and be healed. And Lord, I pray that they would discover there is true freedom and purpose in you that you have for their lives. And, and, I, and I pray, Lord, they find their way back home to you. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he came and died for us. So we could be free. Not so we live under a preference for some gray area that we kind of, you know, make a make 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 kind of our own, but but Lord, we can be free to live in Christ and the freedom that he brings to us. And I, I just pray, Lord, today that you will remind us of that freedom that we're to live and walk in uh, each and every day of our lives. Thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.